Good morning. We are back. Uh, it's March 11th, Monday, March 11th, 2019. And uh, we are back at Bedtime Stories with Dr. Dean. And I am Dr. Dean. And um, I cannot believe I just looked at, uh, I guess, my little cue to see that my last um, podcast was February 8th. I can't believe it's been a month and three days. And I want to shout out to some of the people uh, who wrote me and said, hey, when are you going to get another podcast up? Uh, definitely uh, to the UK. Uh, Timmy Graham, thank you, man. I appreciate the kind words that you wrote. And uh, the others, you all know who you are. But uh, Timmy definitely... Uh, wrote some uh, interesting stuff back and forth with me. Um, this has been an interesting, <laughs> it's been an interesting 2019. I've either been sick, a good portion of it, uh, but thank God finally getting, getting well again and feeling pretty good, pretty strong. And then uh, in the last two weeks and two, two to three days, two weeks and three days, um, the comedy community suffered a, a very uh, a very tragic loss in uh, in the death of uh, uh, Stephen Brody Stevens, or as we call him Brody Stevens, um, on February twenty second, Friday, February twenty second. So it's been a, a very interesting uh, month for me, month and three days for me since the last uh, episode, and uh, I want to touch on a few things before I uh, leave off from episode three and jump into episode four, but definitely want to uh, say some things about uh, what I've been feeling the last, uh, I guess it's 14, 17 days. Uh, I wasn't best friends with Brody Stevens. I would never try and make myself out to be that or say that, uh, but I was friendly with him. Uh, I would sit with him in the back uh, of the comedy store, the OR room, uh, late at night, on Sunday nights, and even some late nights, Saturday nights, uh, when I would be there late night hanging out, watching uh, all the late night acts. And he was, uh, he was just amazing. He was just, a, a, first off, a sweet guy off stage, a really nice guy, and uh, sensitive, sensitive guy. And, um, I, you know, obviously lived in his head uh, probably a little, little too much, which many of us are guilty of. And um, he was just a fantastic uh, comedian. But you had to get him, to, and, that's, and that's in air quotes, get him. Uh, opening quote, get him, close quote. That's the only way I can... Uh, I can uh, explain him to people. If you don't get what he's doing up there, um, you, you, you just, you, you're, you're going to look at your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your significant other, your friend, and go, oh, what, are, what are we doing here? What are we still doing here? Uh, he was a comics comic. The comics in the back, uh, they loved him. We all loved him. And uh, we would all come in to watch him wherever he was, uh, you know, if we all were hanging out. Uh, oh, Brody's going on? No, oh, let's definitely go in there and uh, 
and listen to that and listen to what he's got to, what he, what he, what kind of craziness he's going to bring to the stage. And he never failed. He never failed at bringing something unique. So that news really hit me hard. Uh, and I've, uh, I've dealt with it in my own way. Um, I, I spent, I've spent the last, uh, I guess we're pushing almost 17 days now, um, watching a lot of him on YouTube. Uh, and if you don't know his work, I suggest you do, uh, do some research and watch him. Um, I've had a lot of patients in my office that, uh, in the last 17 days that, uh, I said, you know, so-and-so, you know, Brody died and, uh, uh Brody Stevens died and, uh, they were like, oh, I, I don't really know who you're talking about. So I told a lot, turned a lot of people on to him in the last 17 days to, uh, to get an idea of what he was all about. Um, I, I would sum him up the other night. Me and some friends were walking from the comedy store. I'll get to that in a minute. I'll talk about that lovely, lovely tribute that uh, uh, was held at the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard the other night the 7th, uh, the 5th of March on Tuesday night last week. And, um, but we'll talk about that in a second. But we, I was walking back uh, to our uh, respective cars uh, two, three blocks away from the comedy store. <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, ooh, excuse me, I got to take a sip of some tea. I think I... Okay. Um... And I, I def we're walking about with about five people, four or five people, and I said, I think the best way to sum up Brody Stevens was overly cocky, massively insecure. And it was really weird, the reaction from the other four people I was walking with. They were like, oh, man, I, I don't know if I ever heard it said quite like that. That's, that's I think, the best approximation of who he was. Um, so it's a, it's a terrible story, uh, how it ends, obviously, uh, he suffered with mental illness. Uh, I, I hate to use that word mental illness. Uh, he suffered with depression. Look folks, life, life is tough. Life is tough. I have suffered with mental, uh, illness slash depression, uh, since I'm about 15, I would say about 15 and, um, I've dealt with it, uh, oh my God, numerous ways. I've had suicide thoughts uh, here and there. I don't think there's been a year since I'm 15 years of age that I haven't uh, contemplated suicide. Uh, but I got into, um, I started studying as years went by, uh, back in 1979 when I started noticing depression. Um, I you know, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have the uh, chemistry studies that we have now, and certain things that, that uh, you can treat with, and I've never taken uh, uh, antidepressant or any antipsychotic uh, meds or any mood-altering uh, medicine, um, so I, 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 and I'm not saying not to, I've never taken, so I started studying the uh, the old, the, the uh, chemistry, uh, more of the brain. And um, that stuff has really helped me out immensely over the years. Plus, massive amount of long distance running, 
and I thank Bruce Springsteen and uh, Neil Young and The Who and The Rolling Stones, and uh, I keep going. I'm trying. I wish I could think The Kinks and the Allman Brothers, and uh, Bowie, David Bowie, and uh, all the classic rock, Pink Floyd, of course, uh, for taking those 5 and 10 and 15-mile jogs with me on a Sony Walkman back in 1979 uh, when I started getting heavily into running and exercise and everything. But at the same time, Still getting, you know, smoking pot and doing all that other stuff. We'll, we'll converge all this in a second. And I do want to bring this back to Brody Stevens. I don't want to make this about me. I want to explain that I, uh, what I'm really trying to explain is I decided to get more into the brain chemistry world uh, and started studying, well, why am I feeling this way? What am I deficient in? What is it? And I started studying on uh, omegas, uh, three, six, and nines. And uh, all sorts of interesting uh, um, chemistry uh, that will keep your dopamine and your serotonin levels and your neurotransmitter levels uh, up. Um, I I definitely I I know the feeling of what Brody must have went through. I know it uh, all too well. It's uh, I've always told people that. When you're in massive depression, massive, massive depression, um, and people talk to you, it sounds like this. And I'm going to do, this is not an altered thing. This is the voice of what it sounds like when people are talking to you when you are going through a massive amount of depression. It sounds, don't worry, Dean, you're going to be okay. And that's what it sounded like to me when people would try and tell me things as a young boy. Maybe it was my mother. Uh, I would confide certain things in my mother uh, to my mother that I'm, you know, having a rough time. And um, so I went through all this stuff, uh, and I still, you know, still battle with it. I just keep. I know how to keep it in check now. I still battle with it. I'm 55 years of age. Still battle with it. Uh, I have no problem talking about it. I have, through chemistry, been able to uh, um, to deal with it. I have to watch certain foods. I have to watch uh, certain foods that tend to be a little excitatory for me. Uh, obviously, I stay away from things like MSG, and uh, you know, I'm, I can't necessarily go into Jack in the Box and uh, and eat a an amazing taco that I would love to eat because I know it's got MSG in there and I'll probably have some sort of uh, reaction. But um, I, uh, I definitely know what he went through. And uh, obviously I don't know what he went through in his mind, even though I've spoken to him a few times at Runyon Canyon and we would talk about, you know, why we're here. We're here to clear our heads. For those of you out there, Runyon Canyon is an amazing uh, state park where uh, everybody goes hiking, a lot of celebrities. It's it's really amazing stuff. If you watched Hiking with Kevin Nealon, he shoots a lot of his episodes there. It's just a great place to hike, and I would uh, see Brody there quite often uh, years ago, a few years back, not as much lately, but um, and we would shoot the breeze for a little bit. Uh, excuse me once again. Um, so I, I, I understood some of the stuff that he was going through. And uh, look, you'll never know what's going on in someone's mind. 
unless they come clean with you about, you know, the particulars. You know, people can say, well, I've been depressed, but you don't really, you're not really getting what, what's actually going on in, in, in your mind. So it's like when someone says, you know, eh, I'm sick. Well, what do you mean you're sick? Uh, stomach virus? Uh, head cold? Uh, this thing? Uh, uh, bronchitis? You know what I mean? It's, it's too, when people say depressed, it's too broad because you got to really know what's going on. Uh, are these people suffering paranoid, you know, delusions? There's a lot of, a lot of stuff to mental illness. And, uh, I think Brody was just a guy that, that, uh, like a lot of us comedians were just, just wounded. You know, we were either bullied in, as childhood in childhood. I didn't really get bullied. Uh, I believe he was a little bit, um, but uh, you, there's, there's, it's just too broad a term to understand what's the origin, what's the genesis of what's going on. And I, uh, I've watched quite a few clips of Brody on Periscope and uh, in nightclubs, in comedy clubs, and he'll be doing a great job, and then he'll come off stage and talk to the Periscope uh, viewing audience, and he'll, he'll be like, Nah, that just that wasn't good. That wasn't a good set. I uh, I need to write some more jokes. Blah blah blah. And uh, I'm sitting there going, Wow, this guy just beats himself up. Rather than absorbing the set and and looking at it and maybe going, Yeah, that was pretty good. He went right to the negative, right to be. So here's a guy who's always pushing positive and positivity, positive, ba 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 ba. But yet, it would beat the shit out of himself off stage. And uh, I'm the same way most comics are, unless you know you crushed it. Uh, we all get off stage going, eh, six and a half. Every, every comic comes off, eh, six and a half, maybe a seven. That's what we all do. Uh, that's what I do. I had a set a couple of weeks ago that I, you know, I thought was a four. You know, but the manager of the club said, no, more like a six. <laughs> I was like, you fuck. But... Um, uh, you know, we all have that. That's the thing. But that's what we're searching for. We are searching. We are human beings. And once we leave our mother's womb, which is so, for the most part, so welcoming, so warm, so cozy to be in. And then all of a sudden, we come out of that womb and we're like, hey, hey, well, hey what's going on here? Almost like a little Seinfeld. What's going on? I, I was just in that... Uh, that cavern for like, I don't know, eight, nine months, who's counting, you know? And then uh, we get released from that, and then there's a cutting of a cord, and um, it's, uh, we are constantly in, in search of adoration and, and adulation and being adored and being loved, and that's what, that's what it really comes down to for the human psyche, for the id, the ego, and the superego. And um, that's, what, that's what propels us, is, is this feeling of being loved, of being, uh, uh, you know, in a comics thing, that's, that's what we need. We, we are lacking something that we didn't get. There's a void in our childhood. Good comedians, good comedians. Um, if you don't have, even Bruce Springsteen has said this, if you don't have something, 
bothering you. There's no way that you can be a singer songwriter or uh, you know I don't. He didn't say comic, um, but he he recognizes it. And you know Bruce is very open about his depression. If you read the book Born to Run, you'll uh, you'll hear a lot about his massive massive depression. And uh, I don't know if I've discussed it too much in my four in my three and a half episodes, but I, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. And um, have been so for many, many years and uh, know a little bit about his strife and his stuff that he goes through. And, uh, but getting back, uh, sort of getting back towards, towards the Brody thing, uh, I am definitely able to relate to what that, what that could be like. I, I don't, I'm very curious as to what the last few hours were like for him. Uh, I had a discussion with a comedian, uh, the, mostly through texting, uh, a comic that most of you might know, Earl Skakel, and we both agreed on that. We were both fascinated by what the last few hours might have been like in, in Brody's apartment. And uh, it's it's got to be uh, absolute terror, absolute uh, uh, forehead sweating, body sweating terror as to... Uh, uh, the clarity or non-clarity uh, or irrational behavior uh, to, you know, commit suicide and, you know, do it the way he did it. So um, do I understand the internal mechanisms and how you can get to that level? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have thought it over. As a matter of fact, uh, in 19, end of 96, beginning of 97, 1996, 97, uh, I was minutes away from uh, taking my own life. Um, I had something going on in my life that was not very pleasurable, and uh, I did not see a way out. And I was getting ready to uh, take, I think at the time, was 100 Tylenol. I think I had a full bottle of Tylenol. I had nothing else uh, to, at, in the house, and it was a Sunday night, and, uh, uh, and I was getting ready to take my life, and the phone rang, and it was a friend of mine, Kent Casper, uh, headlining comedian, uh, that you'll hear more about uh, as we go further in this podcast, uh, coming up in the next few episodes, um, and, uh, the phone rang, and he started to really break my uh, break my chops and bust my uh, you know what uh, no I could say it it's my podcast bust my balls uh, on the phone about the situation that I was in and the uh, the, um, uh, the problem I was going through mentally and in, and internally wise and he made so much fun of it and I've known this guy since I'm. Uh, four years old, uh, that I started laughing at where I was at in my life um, and why I was suicidal. And I started laughing. And I don't think he really knew what I was about to do, but I, uh, I was on the phone with him for three hours laughing my ass off. And it was like a typical scene in a movie when I finished talking to him after three hours. Uh, it was like the typical scene in a movie where a uh, you put the bottle down of Tylenol, and uh, you go, uh, I'll do this tomorrow. And then you turn the lights off and go to sleep. And that's what happened. And uh, so he 
sort of saved my life, but I was pretty much at that point. And humor saved me. Humor saved me. Uh, sense of humor. Um, I did not see a light at the end of the tunnel in my life. And then I, uh, uh, at the end of that three-hour conversation with him on the phone, I saw that there might be a light at the end of the tunnel here. I might be able to pull this off. And uh, 22 years later, 22 years later, I'm still here. Uh, still here. Not going to say I haven't, you know, thought of, you know, things uh, in that interim period, but... Uh, like I said, when I, when I feel myself getting what I would say in air quotes, getting wacky, getting a little bit, little bit crazy, I either make sure I get on stage to burn off that energy or I uh, make sure that the chemistry is right. And we've had plenty of salmon, plenty of almonds, plenty of pistachios and get those omega-3, 6s and 9s. Um, balance out the chemistry in your uh, in your brain and your neurotransmitters and all your uh, all those receptors those opioid receptors and i always make sure that there has to be exercise um so uh we've done 20 minutes of talking about this i can't believe how fast that's been um but uh i'm gonna i'm gonna miss brody i really am i'm gonna miss him and like i said seven eight nine minutes ago i don't uh, ever uh, confess to being or, or uh, claim to be uh, his best friend. Um, but he was a guy that I could sit next to in the back of the OR room of the comedy store and we'd laugh our asses off. Sometimes we would just sit there and I had my phone out and text or whatever as I'm listening to the comics and he'd have his phone out doing his thing and maybe three words were, sent, uh, were spoken between me and him or I whispered in his ear or he whispered in mine. But other than that... Um, that's really, uh, that's really uh, uh, the extent of some nights of sitting back uh, with him. But uh, definitely spoke with him quite a bit in the parking lot at the comedy store at the end of the nights when everybody would hang out and shoot the breeze in the parking lot. And then we had our little uh, talks at Runyon Canyon every once in a while. Uh, we'd shoot the breeze up there a little bit. And he was just a, just a sweet guy and... Uh, uh, I was, I texted with him two days before, uh, his passing. Um, I had seen him on one of my close friends, uh, podcast, my friend Darren Carter. And if you want to listen to a great podcast, go to Darren Carter's pocket party podcast. I've mentioned this before on mine and, uh, I've done about six or seven episodes with Darren and uh, of his podcast, and he, ironically, did a podcast with Brody Stevens uh, the Monday before Brody uh, took his life, and uh, so he, excuse me, he took he did the podcast on Monday night, and you know Friday morning is when people knew that uh, Brody had passed. So uh, he's one of the f few people, I guess. There's not too many. Uh, the last few people that got a chance to interview Brody uh, the week of. And uh, I, uh, I don't know, I sometimes feel like I, if I was at that podcast that night at Brody's apartment, I might have I seen signs that maybe, you know, uh, 
uh, just from suffering with depression, plus being a doctor, uh, even though I'm a chiropractor, folks, I have a shitload of knowledge about neurochemistry and transmitter transmitter chemistry in the brain. And uh, I don't know, maybe I would have seen something and said, hey, Brody, why don't we go to the hospital and get some blood work done on your uh, neurotransmitter levels in your brain. So whatever, that wasn't meant to be. You know, that wasn't meant to be, but... I do think about it, and uh, his was, uh, they had a great podcast, I highly recommend, I'll say it again, Darren Carter's Pocket Party Podcast, get that on iTunes, Spotify, all the all the companies, and um, listen to the one with Brody Stevens, it's really amazing. Also, if you want to listen to something that's hilarious, uh, Joe Rogan Experience, uh, I think it's episode 464 or something, but it's... Uh, I think that's what it is, but it's Brody Stevens, uh, it's like two hours and 40 minutes, and it's uh, hilarious, it's, it's absolutely hilarious, some of the stuff, uh, he'll have you uh, on the floor, but uh, we're going to miss Brody, and uh, tomorrow night, the 11th, May, uh, March 11th, at the Comedy Store, I do hope I can get in, it's going to be a tough, tough ticket to get into, uh, but this will be the official, like, heavy-duty memorial, and I think sort of bordering on the star-studded memorial uh, of uh, people uh, that Brody was connected to, and uh, it's going to be a very interesting night. So uh, a lot of this, in this two-week period, um, a lot of what's been going on in, in my mind, trying to think Wow, I want to do a podcast. I want to do a slight tribute to Brody, and uh, um, just to and a tribute to all the comics who who go through this. Who uh, you know, we're we're <laughs> we're fighting such a crazy uh, uh, uphill battle all the time, trying to get on stage, trying to push these demons out of our system on the on the stage and. Uh, you know, it's just, it's amazing what the human mind goes through and, and, uh, the human condition. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, a really an interesting, interesting existence that artists and, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's just, uh, that artists have to go through, uh, uh, the suffering, uh, sometimes, um, sometimes I wish I was just, an office worker that, uh, you know, just goes through life and just wants to have the IRA, uh, account and, uh, and, um, uh, you know, get my Timex watch, uh, when I do, after I finish my 30 years at a, at a, at a firm and, um, you know, get the, uh, white picket fence or whatever and sort of live the, uh, the life of, you know, I, I assume happiness. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I talk to friends of mine that are in that world and uh, they're just as miserable <laughs> as, as any star, as any artist or comedian. But, uh, um, I, like I said, uh, I, 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 I definitely, I understand some of the dynamics of what he must've been tormenting himself uh, in his head. And, uh, 
uh, a lot of comics, you know, and people on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram, they they say things, you know, you got to reach out, you got to reach out to people. But, uh, you know, uh, I'll say it myself, you really, you really have to reach out and let people know, hey, you know, can I talk to you about something or get professional help, get professional help. Uh, I've done the therapy thing. Um, I've, I've, you know, I have different thoughts on therapy. Uh, uh, I think that you know, a lot of what I would get usually was uh, at the red light uh, after therapy, after therapy. Uh, I didn't necessarily feel like I got it in the session, but when I was in the car ride driving home at a red light and thinking about the session, that's when I usually, things started hitting me. But um, I've definitely done a lot of homework uh, into uh keeping myself away from my demons. I definitely know when they're coming on and I do everything in my power to, uh, to not, uh, not let them take over. And, uh, I would say the one comedian that I probably, I really envy, uh, and that's not for his wealth. It's for his demeanor and for the fact that I don't think this man has ever experienced any kind of depression or anything. Uh, I don't think he's had a headache. Uh, it's Jerry Seinfeld. He just, uh, it just, I always, whenever I feel myself, I'll confess something to you folks. Whenever I feel myself uh, knowing that I'm going to be battling my demons a little bit, I literally will, you know, if I'm in the house by myself, I'll go, no, no, not going to do it. Not going to do it. I, I, I don't need to. I don't need to. I'm Jerry Seinfeld-like, and uh, that's it. I control. I steer this boat. That's right. I steer this boat. And I, I actually find myself doing that. And you want to know something? Actually gets rid of uh, <laughs> demons. So he's on to something that I don't know. He's got some sort of uh, pill that he takes. Uh, and whatever it is, he's, he's got it the right way. Um, but uh, let's start episode uh, four a little bit. And we left off... Um, we left off talking about, and uh, like I said, I, I just before we start, I just want to say, uh, Brody, rest in peace, all that stuff, and uh, uh, never forget you, man. I'll never forget you. You, you, you put so many smiles on me and uh, belly laughs on me, and uh, uh, as a comic, uh, it's not always easy to laugh at other comedians, maybe there's a jealousy factor, uh, maybe there's an envy factor, but I, uh, I let all that, I let a lot of that stuff go in the last seven to 10 years from 45 to 55. Uh, I let a lot of that, that, that crap go and I'm able to laugh at the Sebastian Maniscalco's because they crack my ass up and the Brody Stevens, I, 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 I'm not sitting here going, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco made $20 million last year. That's great. Good for him. He, he earned it. He earned it. He was able to make 18,000 people laugh hysterically at, at a clip. So uh, uh, each time he fills up an arena. So good for him. That's great. You know, uh, Brody Stevens had me laughing. So I don't, uh, maybe it's because I'm doing well myself financially, so in my practice and everything, so that I maybe I don't have that uh, that financial envy. So that that might be it. That might be it. From a now that I think about it, from a psychological standpoint, that's probably it. Uh, 
just a little bit more comfortable these days in my own skin um, and probably a little bit less stress. And, you know, so, yeah, that might be it. Uh, but either way, those guys make me laugh. There's plenty of other comedians that make me laugh. Uh, and um, and uh, it's... it's uh, it, that's a good thing. That's a good thing to be able to let go of that envy and that jealousy. And um, but like I said, I just want to uh, wish him a safe passage, and uh, just make all those people laugh wherever wherever you're going next. Wherever you're going next, you know, hang out with Rickles, hang out with with uh, Sinatra. So I have a feeling Sinatra would love Brody Stevens. I just have a strange feeling, and uh, just make everybody laugh up there and. Uh, you know, hopefully we all get a chance to see each other down the road. Not too soon, but uh, down the road. Okay, so I um, spent the last two weeks uh, looking over a one-man show that I wrote many years ago uh, called OK Mom, I Became a Doctor. Now can I please go back to show business? And this is uh, uh, by Dean Larratt. Maybe you might have heard of him. Uh, at least for the last 32 minutes and 33 seconds. But uh, I realized there's certain portions that I've told you in the first three episodes, even though the first one doesn't really count. I was, uh, excuse me, I got to take another sip of tea. Um, I realized in the uh, last two episodes that... Uh, I, I went, oh, my God, I didn't discuss any of this, that kind of stuff. So um, I will uh, take some paraphrasing from some passages and uh, to bring you up to date. But uh, what we basically left off in episode three was I was talking about my friend Mark and um, uh, getting into pot smoking. And that took you guys to the January of uh, pretty much 1980. I want to go back a little bit. I want to go back to um, 1975 kind of thing, 76, mostly 75. Uh, I want to, uh, first off, first off, I think the thing I really want to do is I want to confess something. Um, I have to be honest. We were talking about this the other night. Uh, I was talking with a friend of mine, and uh, that sounds like a... Was that Tom Petty? I was talking with a friend of mine. Um, I, I, I have to, I guess I had to come clean when I was talking to my friend because he asked me this question. And I said, oh, you know, all I ever really wanted in this life, since I can remember, was, uh, and I have to be honest, was I, I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be famous. But I didn't want to be uh, famous for a bad thing, you know. I wanted to be famous for, you know, something good, something, I brought something to the table. Uh, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, I often say maybe I didn't get enough of my mother's nipple or something or told I was great by others or whatever, I don't know. But I have had the fame gene since, uh, since I'm a little kid. And uh, I, um, I, I, you know, I often joke with my, my friends saying, you know, I'm 55 years old, I'm a chiropractor, and yeah, I'm a stand-up comedian as well, but I'm still, and I'm confessing this, I'm still practicing my Academy Awards acceptance speech. And I just find that, I find that absolutely sort of ridiculous, but yet I, it's the truth. I, I'm still, I'm still, you know, uh, thinking of all the people that I would 
uh, say something about, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's just weird, you know, we, the dream never dies, you know, it, 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 if, if you got it, you can never run away from this business or, or, or anything, I mean, even if you're a baseball player or something, uh, you know, the Springsteens of the world, they, they still trying to, he's still trying to write the song that's going to, uh, uh, you know, take everybody by storm, even though, you know, he's written, many songs but it's it's the thing that you're always challenging yourself um even as a child you know i was really going over this the other night even as a child i can remember um i guess i was like 10 i was uh, i was i was still trying to chase fame maybe it was 10 to 12 or something anywhere in that range and uh I remember, and I thought about this the other night, I was taking some notes for what I wanted to do for this podcast uh, after I finished talking about Brody. Um, I wanted to to break, I was very big on, on the Guinness Book of World's Records when I was a kid, and there were two records that I thought at around 10 to 12 that I had a shot at breaking. And um, one record... And I don't know what it, if the record has changed, but back then, when I wrote the show, uh, the one-man show, um, was I wanted to eat, drink, and sleep 24-7. I had, you had to do this 24-7 uh, in roller skates for nine weeks. And I didn't think that was too ridiculous, you know, nine weeks of doing everything under the sun in roller skates. So you could not take the roller skates off. And, uh, and I, I, I remember this. I, did, <laughs> I remember I did everything in my power to convince my parents to help me with this record, you know. But um, uh, the joke I often tell was uh, the dream ended early when my mother vetoed the idea of me wearing roller skates while taking a bath in her porcelain tub. So uh, I actually remember that was her excuse. She goes, well, how are you going to, you know, shower? And I, I'll take a bath. And, you know, again, I can't shower and take in and, and roller skates. You'll get killed, you know. And I said, I'll take a bath. Not in my porcelain tub. So that was one. And um, <laughs> this is all true. This is all true stuff. And I started jotting down notes about this. This was all true. Um, and we're, like I said, folks, we're going to get back towards the, I'm going to take you back to 1980 pretty soon and, and, and pretty, and further than that. But I, I, I remember leaving off the last podcast going, wait a second, man, there's a lot of stuff from 75 on that really needs to be addressed. And, um, other one, if I remember correctly, that I, I jotted down in bullet points here was I wanted to, and this I definitely remember, and I'm still uh, obsessed with this whenever I see people do it on uh, um, America's Got Talent or any of these other TV shows. I'm still obsessed with this one. Now, I know this record is much higher now than it, than it was when I wrote the show, but uh, when I attempted to do this as a 10-year-old or 12-year-old, um, I wanted to attempt to, to topple 25,000 dominoes. Uh, it's probably up to 500,000 now, maybe even close to a million dominoes now. You know, you, you know, you've seen them do dominoes where they do the, the flag, the United States flag, or uh, the entire country, the shape of the, of, of the United States is, is in dominoes. Uh, you've seen these people that uh, do this, and uh, it takes them, uh, <laughs> takes them four and a half months to set it up, and then it's... Uh, takes an hour and 40 for all the dominoes to uh, to go but back then when i was around 
now let's just say 10 or 11, 12 years old, 74 to 76, um, it was 25,000 dominoes. And, uh, but I, but the truth is, um, my parents had shag carpeting back then, which was a big thing. So setting up and practicing for that, uh, for that record wasn't going to happen. And, uh, and also, I'd probably have to cash in my uh, my future bar mitzvah bonds in order to purchase uh, that many dominoes, 25,000 dominoes. But, um, yeah, I can only imagine what that must have been like, trying to set uh, uh, set up uh, car, um, 25,000 dominoes on shag carpeting. But I, but I was always, and I admit, and I was having this conversation with somebody the other night, and it was about this, you know, the old theory of, you know, well, what is it that you wanted? What, what do you want? What did you want in life? And we got into this conversation, and uh, I don't know. I've, I, I guess I, I, I almost like Brody Stevens, because he, 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 I think he was tortured by this. Um, I've always been intrigued by fame, and uh, I've always been fascinated and, and I always thought it would be really cool for someone to be able to say, no, 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 I'm not kidding. Uh, I, I went to school with Dean Larratt, you know. Uh, I, I can even show you a picture of him in my high school yearbook. Here he is, man. Uh, he was a funny guy then, you know. He used to have us laughing uh, back then. And, uh, you know, showing my high school picture to somebody. And I, I, I've, always, I've always been, you know, fascinated by that. Whenever you see high school photos of, you know, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, uh, Al Pacino, Nicholson, De Niro, Julia Roberts, Seinfeld, Springsteen, Jag, you know, and you always, uh, you see these people and there's an innocence to, to them, to all of us, you know, in high, that we had in high school. Uh, and it just, you know, it, when I see those photos of those people, uh, especially Springsteen, you know, had a very odd picture in his yearbook. He just, just looks, you know, just like not somebody you're going to call the boss down the road. Uh, I just, you know, I think to myself, man, these people, it's the names that I just mentioned, plus, you know, many other people, presidents or whatever, whatever, people who became famous, um, they have no idea what's coming down the road for them, you know, and how the things, you know, that they're going to do will affect people's lives 10 or 20 years later or 30 years later, 40 years later. For a guy like Springsteen, it's... Uh, it's actually 50 years later from high school. So that's always something that has stayed with me. It's been a crow. Um, I think they call that a crow in my family. I can't use an expression for that. But it's always been something that has... Um, it's been it's been a crow in my side, I think, is the thing. I, I can't get the terminology, but uh, somebody can text me or write me a DM on Instagram. But yes, it's a uh, crow in my feathers, something like that. But... Uh, that was it. I, uh, I have been, uh, seeking this out most of my life. Uh, this fame thing. I always wanted to be famous and I, and like, you know, and I know this sounds narcissistic and, uh, but I wanted to do the work. Don't get me wrong. I didn't want to become, you know, uh, famous, uh, um, like some people are on Instagram that make, you know, uh, $200,000 uh, a minute for, uh, posing with a product. I, I wanted to be famous for bringing something to the table, uh, whether it's, uh, amazing movies, directing, uh, acting, mostly acting. Um, and it probably sounds narcissistic, uh, but it has, but I know in my heart of hearts, it has to come from some childhood void or, you know, just like I said, just, you know, 
I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But that's that's the way I see it. It probably probably all starts with that. And um, so we cut to uh, I would say seventy five. And I and I wanna I wanna give credit to. Um, Saturday Night Live and, and the TV shows that we had back then, we had such, such amazing television shows to, uh, to watch then. And uh, uh, it, 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 I think I was influenced by the TV shows of the 70s. And we had Happy Days and we had um, Gilligan's Island. We had The Odd Couple. We had... Um, uh, it was, I mean, the television shows, I think I have it, I wrote down some of these shows, and I, I just, uh, I'm mind-boggled by some of the television that existed back in the 70s, and, um, I'm trying to find, I want to throw some names, but, you know, we had these amazing TV shows, and, uh, I was really influenced by them, um, and it was, uh, it was definitely something um, uh, that I think uh, created the monster uh, in me, you know, plus what I told you all about Johnny Carson and uh, all that stuff that I had uh, explained. So I was a late night guy, but I was also uh, an early guy. I was also watching, you know, sitcom television. So... uh, I mean, yeah, like, for instance, here we go. I, I found this. I mean, Friday night, we had the Brady Bunch at 8 p.m., and uh, which I always thought was amazing. You got, a, you got a great story here. You got six kids who weren't blood-related living in the same house, which, come to think of it, is actually quite normal in Arkansas. Don't get mad, Arkansas. Um, we had the Partridge family. Uh, and I, uh, and I, I actually remember I used to have a David Cassidy poster on my bedroom door till I was like 16 years old. Uh, so, and I had a Partridge family lunchbox, which I used to take to school with me, uh, sometimes then, sometimes to my office as well. No, kidding. Not to my office. But, um, then you had, uh, you had, uh, room 222, which I don't even know if most people would remember that, uh, that came on at 9 p.m. on Friday. We had the odd couple, Tony Randall and Jack Klugman. I mean, look what you're being influenced by. And that was at 9. And then um, 9.30. That was at 9.30 on a Friday. And then, you know, then 10 o'clock. For those of you who don't remember, there was a show called Love American Style, which so many different actors started off on. And it was, um, it was just a, a, it was a great time to have your brain um, receiving images. In other words, if you were going to watch something back then, if you, you know how parents don't want their kids watching ch- uh, television, uh, I, I don't know of a better time for television than the 70s. Yeah, I'm going to go with the 70s. Uh, it just provided me with some wonderful memories and helped inspire my dreams. And uh, um, But I will say one thing. uh, We'll we'll get into Saturday Night Live and and all that other stuff. Um, I was heavily, heavily influenced. Um, I would say my life really, really, and and desire for fame really, really um, went off the charts uh, 
in probably 1976. I think it would be November of 76. Um, and also some other TV shows that I can think of. We had Mr. Ed, The Honeymooners. Now, granted, these were shows that were shot in the late 50s and the early 60s for uh, uh, the late 60s for the uh, Mr. Ed. But um, I mean, The Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason, Art Carney, uh, uh, Audrey Jane Me Audrey Meadows, I think, or Jane Randolph, I can't remember. But I mean, phenomenal for the the stuff that we were influenced by, which would later on. I think feed my comedic desires, you know. Um, but I was definitely, uh, my life definitely changed at around 12 um, when uh, uh, November, November uh, of uh, 1976, uh, I had, uh, I'd been going to the movies on a regular basis. I think about it now and I can't believe my mother was allowing me to go at 12 years old to the movies. I don't know what kid could go to the movies now at 12 with his, you know, uh, by himself or with maybe one other friend. I don't know. I don't know, you know, but it was a different time back then. And in November of 1976, I definitely um, got uh, a dose of, uh, oh my God, I can't believe this movie, and uh, it basically it changed my life for uh, forever. I um, I saw the movie Rocky in November of '76, and uh, I just became immersed with it. Um, it was it was just unbelievable. It was. Uh, it was, uh, there was a reporter for CBS News, I'll never forget, Dennis Cunningham was his name, I don't even know if he's alive anymore, but um, the review that CBS News gave was, I'll never forget, he said, folks, if you see one movie a year over this entire year, you have got to see this movie, and it'll have you crying and cheering and all that, and he said, this is the best movie of the year, and it will win the Oscar, and he was right. And he spoke about this new guy, Sylvester Stallone, and uh, he'd been bouncing around, you know, struggling as an uh, actor in New York, delivering water and into skyscrapers, all this stuff. And um, I was just, I was blown away. And I started, uh, so I, I went to see the movie with my mother and father. It was a Friday night, I'll never forget this, at the Centuries Meadows Theater in Fresh Meadows, Queens, which was, you know, not too far from uh, my uh, parents' apartment. Um, and uh, we, uh, we went on a Friday, and my brother and his buddy Brad Rothbaum, I remember this like I'm talking to you guys right now, they went on a double date, and they went to the 8 p.m. show, and uh, we were only able to get into the 10.30. It's amazing because not in a million years now would my mother and father be able to go to a 10.30 movie. But in 1976, I'm thinking about this, my parents did not have, I guess my father was 46 years old. My mother was 38. So I guess, yeah, no big deal. They went. So um, 10.30, we went to the theater. And I remember when the four of them came out, Brad and my brother Scott, and his two, the two respective girls that went with them on the date, I, I remember uh, running into them in the lobby. Remember, there's no cell phones, no nothing, and uh, they had they were just blown away. And I saw that my brother 
was eh, might have been wiping tears from his eyes, but uh, he didn't want anybody to notice. And it did seem like everybody had like red eyes, like they were crying. And um, you know, me being the young kid, the twelve-year-old, I would have you know definitely shot for making fun of my brother for crying, but I couldn't. I respected uh, the the enjoyment he had just had, and I think even at that age, I. I knew to respect the arts. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but uh, I did. And they split, and uh, they said this movie was going to win the best picture, and we went in to see that. And within two hours, my life changed, and all my dreams began. And, uh, you know, I often told this joke years ago uh, that uh, I remember, you know, leaning over to my mother during the film and whispering, you know, Ma, and this is true, uh, I was whispering in her ear, I said, I know what I want to do when I grow up, and she was like, oh, what's that? I said, uh, I want to be a chiropractor, and uh, that was so not what I said. I actually leaned over, and I said, I want to do what this guy did, and uh, I want to be up on that screen and have all these people come and see me, and um, I, I literally remember saying that at 12 years old, and then I I ended up uh, obviously coming out of that movie and uh, with my parents and we were, we were just blown away. We were blown away by what we had seen. And um, I also want to give a shout out that uh, my girlfriend and I were talking the other night and uh, nobody ever seems to give Sylvester Stallone credit um, for starting the fitness craze. And I... Uh, I think that Sylvester Stallone is the one. Don't you remember when you saw Rocky for my people that are in their late, uh, mid to late 50s now? Don't you remember how you went out jogging the next day after you saw Rocky, uh, the first one? Uh, I, I remember putting a pair of sweatpants on. I was 12 and, you know, going out in the cold November weather and, uh, and running. You know, running around the track at Francis Lewis High School, um, and I and that, I I don't think anybody ever gives him I th the credit. I think people attribute the fitness craze to Arnold Schwarzenegger, Pumping Iron movie, and I don't think Pumping Iron was. Uh, it might have been a little bit before Rocky, but I don't think. Uh, and they give it to Jack Lalanne for the Jack Lalanne show, but I don't think people give Sylvester Stallone credit for really turning the country on into wake up in the morning, get your ass out of bed and get those endorphins going, man, and get that body, you know, trained. And, um, that was, uh, that was something I became completely obsessed with this movie. I had, I recall seeing it in the movie. I saw it 32 times, uh, sometimes two to three times in one day. And, uh, I would literally, I'm almost embarrassed to say, I would sit there myself and uh, I don't know, I'm going to say something that, you know, give you a little insight into me, but even at 12, I saw a story about a guy whose life was a million to one shot and uh, uh, I don't know, for some reason, I felt a connection to this character. Um, I, 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 I guess a loser, a loner, uh, but when he finally gets the opportunity, he gets to rise to the occasion, you know, and, and make something of himself. But I felt a connection. Uh, it, uh, this movie sort of became like a friend to me. 
And uh, there was a time where I literally, literally uh, had the movie memorized. And I literally had the movie memorized. And uh, I would spend hours in my room reciting it word for word. And, uh, and then I became pretty good at doing the impression. And I might do that for you uh, a little later. But there is a time where I will definitely do it for you because it does uh, come into play pretty soon. But we got four and a half minutes to wrap this, this portion up. And then we're going to uh, get in. We're gonna, I'm going to take you a little further and then get you back to my crazy antics that start happening with Mark. Don't think I've forgotten any of this, but I did want to give you a little bit of a backstory that I felt I was missing with you guys. So, um, uh, you know, as of 12 uh, years old, I, I definitely, uh, this movie uh, became my friend and I began to feel I was a little different than some of my friends and classmates and uh I don't know. I just felt like an outsider looking in, you know, and I still feel that way a lot of times. Uh, there are comedy clubs that I've been wanting to get into, and I sometimes feel like I'm, I'm knocking on the window of a, like a big windowsill where there's a huge party going on, and, um, and everybody sees me, and they know me. Oh, that's Dr. Dean. Um, but they won't let me into the party. And... Uh, that's something I've always felt, and uh, I've always—I really—I've always felt like uh, an outsider looking in, and a, a loner who hap who uh, like a loner who happens to have a lot of friends and acquaintances, uh, and that would, you know, uh, I don't know. I guess I had to learn how to entertain people to keep them uh, around. I guess that's what it was. But um, uh, then I want to talk a little bit about. Um, I became, you know, uh, obsessed like many other people. I became obsessed with, with Saturday Night Live. And, you know, man, I mean, uh, you want to talk about something that's going to get the, the creative juices flowing. I don't know anything that could have touched this for, a, for an 11-year-old boy. And, I mean, this was a total groundbreaker. Think about this, 1975. You're not going to get as edgy as, as we got from this. I mean, it was ridiculous. And... The stuff that they were getting away from, or getting away with, the not so, uh, not was it not ready for prime time players? Uh, it was, it was just amazing, and uh, uh, it, it, it was great. It, it was really great to have have that in my life as a as a young boy. A great influence, and um, you know, the cast was Stone doing it, and then later on, years later, in seventy nine, nineteen eighty ish, I would be. Uh, that guy, you know, being stoned and watching it with my friends. But we have two minutes to go. Uh, I just want to wrap this up a little bit. And uh, we got a lot more to talk about. Um, we'll get back. We're going to slowly get back to the getting stoned years and all this stuff. And uh, then I'm going to take it, you know, to, to the 80s. Uh, where a little bit of hanging out with Mark and all that, and then we'll get to the college years and all that stuff. But um, I hope I gave you a little bit of an insight as to uh, uh, me and what's irking me and, uh, and why I uh, need to do stand-up, why I need to be funny, why I just can't be a chiropractor. I have plenty of people that say to me, Dean, you're making a good living. Why do you care about doing stand-up? And to me, those people are people that really shouldn't be doing stand-up because they don't get it. 
they don't get it. I have friends of mine that are like, ugh, I wish I could stop doing stand-up. Uh, and I'm like, are you out of your mind? I watched an episode tonight. We have one minute left. I watched an episode tonight of Crashing, Judd Apatow's show. And John Mulaney goes to Pete Holmes. He goes, ugh, I got to do this show right now. I hate doing stand-up. I'm thinking to myself, what are you, crazy? Even though I'm sure John must love it. But um, maybe, who knows? Maybe he doesn't. I have to do this. Uh, I want to do this. If, if I had a big movie career, I'd be doing stand-up, you know, all over the place uh, uh, in theaters, you know. So that's my thing. Um, I need this. I need to be entertaining. I need to uh, feel uh, something I wrote at a red light is going to be funny. Folks, get ready for episode uh, five pretty soon. I'm going to bring them to you a lot sooner. Uh and say a nice word. DM me on uh, Instagram, Dr. Dean125, D-R-D-E-A-N-125. Thanks. See you soon.